Good morning, church. Hey, we're going to have some participation. Here's my first question. How many of you have been to McDonald's? Raise your hand. Most Okay, I'm just making sure that almost everyone raises their hands. If you have, you have either enjoyed their milkshakes, hash browns, french fries, Big Macs, chicken McNuggets, or maybe the McRib, huh? And while any of those might be your favorite or possibly nauseating to you, you have probably partaken in the glory of this fast food. And if you were younger in the 80s, well, I guess everyone was younger in the 80s, uh, if you were a child of the 80s, you probably remember the metal playgrounds that could harm you but were worth it. Do you guys remember these? They were so fun. Yes, good. And as Christians, I think even in culture, oh, I skipped. You probably also remember a sign that looks something like this. If you would show that, Abigail. You guys remember this sign where underneath it says billions and billions served? And over a billion served. And I even remember when it just said billions served. I remember even when it said millions served. Yep, I am that old. And the McDonald's sign pointed out that serving people in their salty and fattening goodness was something they did. And at least according to the sign was something that they emphasized. And as Christians, I think even in culture, Christians usually are seen as a type of serving organization. As Christians are usually credited with the creation of hospitals as we know them today and colleges. And while serving is something that every Christian is called to do, the motivation like all things in the faith known as Christianity matters a lot. Motivation matters when we serve because service out of duty or service out of self-righteousness is often not at all what scripture is intending to mean but serving for the right reasons is something at COV, Church of the Valley, that we value. We need people to serve on Sunday mornings. We need and value and appreciate people to serve in children's and youth ministry, as we spoke about last week. We experience the blessing of those who help set up, prepare, and execute the barbecue lunch we had after service a few weeks ago. Both Malik and Laura preached about the value we have of equipping others practically in worship and tech ministry the week before the barbecue. Before that, we taught about leadership and the huge responsibility it is to serve the Lord as an elder, a pastor, a staff member within the church community. And the week before that, we taught about how important it is for those to serve on the teaching team and to communicate the truth of, the God, truth of God to the congregation through the lens of the gospel. All that we have taught in this series known as what is it you do here has been about biblically teaching the why behind the what and the behind the scenes and perhaps answering some of the questions within the congregation for how we function as a church. Today, as we speak about serving and often what we call at COV participation, we hope that each of us would understand that belonging to this church community has far more to do with participating than it does with just attending or, God forbid, just having your name on some membership roll call. Last week, I left the service pretty dang tired. Probably the most tired I had been after a Sunday service in quite a while. Some of it had a lot to do with how many moving parts there were happening around, before, during, and after the worship service that we attempt to provide every single Sunday morning for the gathering of those who consider themselves part of the church community 
and for the preaching and explaining and proclaiming of the gospel of grace through the Word of God known as the Bible. I remember texting Laura, who's in the back today. Look at her. She loves that. Turn your heads. Yep, yep. I remember texting Laura Sunday afternoon and asking if she planned to rest. Spoiler, no, she did not. Because on top of leading worship last Sunday, she also was overseeing tech ministry to an extent, uploading videos for the service, talking to David, who was on vacation, regarding some video and audio bugs that revealed themselves, of course, Sunday morning. And while Laura was doing that, Eugene Chu, Eliza Zilka, and Sarah Delwood were all serving in the tech booth at the same time, making sure that the sermon and the music would be proclaimed and magnified through the audio and visual, visual tools that we have as resources. At the same time, Laura and Raymond Tam and Dan Nathaling were proclaiming the truth of the gospel by leading us in singing and instrument playing from the platform for the glory of God. All at the same time, Clara Kreiser, Robin Tillman, Naomi Miller, Jenny Trin, and Brittany Franco, Reagan Riley, and Flynn, I can't pronounce his last name, were serving the children within the church community as the adults and youth were in the worship service. Erin was sitting in service, which she attempts to do every three to five weeks when she has not scheduled herself in children's ministry. But she wasn't just sitting in service. She had done some preparation to be interviewed in the sermon last week in front of all y'all. Karen Miller was on ho at home on bed rest, but we still got to see her and hear from her as Laura went to her home during the week recorded Karen answering some questions, and edited the video so that we could see it in our service. Malik, our worship director, did not have to lead worship as Laura and the team led and gave him a break from that, but he did offer to do announcements for us. And then Melanie, who usually serves in worship ministry, served us last Sunday by leading the takeaway portion of the service. Barbara Simmons played a prelude and postlude, which she got here around 8.30 to practice and set up to serve in that way an hour before the service. Oh, and many of us partook of treats and really good coffee after the service in which Bianca and Mark Frederick got to the church property before the service began to set up the snacks and make the coffee and set it out. After the service, there was cleanup of many of the people that I just mentioned helped clean up and Mike collected the offering and made sure it was secure. Laura recorded a few people in the church for a future video we hope to share with you. And eventually Laura locked up the church building and went home to do D&D &D or I don't know what. Now, why do I share all of the crazy of last Sunday? Because it was a lot of moving parts. It really wasn't all that different than most Sunday mornings. It takes a lot of us to provide the opportunity for us to gather and to worship and be reminded of the goodness of our God through the gospel of grace being proclaimed. It takes a lot of us each week. And seriously, if our motivation is to do it for a paycheck or kudos or a better seat near Jesus in heaven, we probably have forgotten and disregarded the gospel. The gospel, church, not only is true, it is confidence-inspiring for all that we do as Christians. Now, I get to brag on my friend Melanie Neathling, who isn't with us this week. She's not feeling well. But the other week, I was meeting with her and Dan, her husband, the barbecue master, as I like to call him. And we were studying scripture. And what she was sharing and noticing in the text as we studied was awesome. 
It was a phenomenal snapshot of someone who, by God's grace, has the word coming alive to them currently. So if you feel like the word isn't coming alive to you, just go be around Melanie when she feels better. And as we were talking about church community and Sunday mornings, she said this quote, I love being here on Sundays where the gospel is preached. It gives me confidence in my salvation, in my God, and that my sin does not define me. That's a good word. Guys, if you ever want to know why you should get up and get out of bed on a Sunday, get dressed and drive to this campus, that quote is enough for me. The gospel gives us confidence in whose we are. The gospel gives us confidence in whose we are. And we gather and we offer children's ministry and community groups that, uh, spoiler, there's uh, signups in the lobby after service today. We offer outreach events and barbecues, all for the hope that together we would find community in a group of people who believe the same thing about Jesus. He is Lord and he is risen. And we celebrate his resurrection, that he has done what we could not do by his perfect life lived, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. And we do all of this because of Jesus and for Jesus. So church, as we open our Bibles today to see what serving and participating is all about biblically, considering our motivation, I'd like to begin with this point. We serve Jesus, and we celebrate Jesus, and we make it about Jesus because we know what happens when we don't. When we don't, we feel unappreciated. We feel like our service doesn't matter because we're expecting something from the wrong people. People let us down, and yet God gives us grace. So let's begin with how Jesus closes a discussion, and we'll work our way back after we read the end of this discussion, all right? You'll see. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of God, the only perfect man to ever live, the only person to not need a Savior. Think about that for a second. He's the only one, the only individual to never disregard or disobey God at his word. He says he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I count myself in that many, don't you? I don't know about you, but that gracious gift of the great exchange where he trades his perfect life for my imperfect life, he trades his holy life for my corrupt life, is one of the many things I can praise him for when I begin to become inward focused. And unfortunately, I got to be honest with you, I become inward focused a lot. So Jesus didn't come as a dictator that demands obedience. He came as a savior who exemplifies serving. And it is his example of obedience, coupled with his motivation to love God the Father through his obedience that provides for each of us, not just an example, but a Savior who did what we could not do perfectly every single time, without sin. Yet the one without sin became sin's substitute by taking on the wrath of God for our sin on the cross. So I look at you guys. And I think about the fact that as we gather today, as we worship today, that many of us have a relationship with God, not because we did anything, but because God is good. And so let me, let me make this clear. Andrew, you are righteous. 
not righteous, but righteous, right standing before God, not because of what you've done, but because of Jesus. Robin, you are righteous. You have right standing with God, not because of what you've done, but because of how good God is. Teresa, you are righteous because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection, not because you serve, but because Jesus served all of us by trading his life for ours. But Jesus says he came to serve rather than to be served. He gave his life as a ransom for many. But what preceded this powerful statement? Last week, we were in Mark 10, where Jesus had to rebuke his disciples for their attempt to keep children away from him as he stated, the kingdom of God is for children such as these, dependent and in need. Then after the rich young ruler attempts to justify himself to Jesus by all the good that he had done, Jesus predicts his death a third time, and then Mark writes about James and John's prideful and misguided request of Jesus. So that's what we're going to read today. Here's what it says, starting in verse 35 of Mark 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder is a nickname. They came to him and they said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow. James and John, the sons of thunder. James, who becomes an apostle. John, who becomes an apostle. John is the one who wrote John, and 1 John, and 2 John, and 5 John, just kidding, 3 John, and Revelation. And these two, acting like selfish teenagers, because, well, they are, they tell Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. <laughs> this sentiment is how a cultural Christian has acted ever since, where Jesus through prayer becomes more of a genie in a bottle than how an actual loving relationship with God works. So Jesus responds, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. Jesus, the knower of all things, isn't asking this question out of ignorance. He's not like surprised by this. He is asking to expose to the hearer, both those who will ask the question, and in this case, probably Peter. Why do I say Peter? Because he eventually tells this story to Mark, who writes this letter. And they want to know what actually went down. So here's what I'm trying to figure out. I always do wonder why Jesus didn't just start to tell people what they were about to say. He is Lord. So if they come up to him and they're trying to beat around the bush, why didn't he just get to the point? Probably because he's Lord, I am not, and God has not given me the gift of being all-knowing, no matter how much I act as if I am. But verse 37 says, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Alrighty then. James and John, they went, they want the best seat in the house, possibly for eternity. They want to be handed a place of honor. Being with Jesus is not enough. They need the promise of being exalted alongside him as well. Now, their understanding that Jesus would reign in glory is commendable, yet at the same time, it's not totally clear if they meant an earthly glory as a king reigns or an actual kingdom of God glory, which does reign on earth but continues into eternity. Their request is a great example of the natural man and how a natural man serves in society. Service comes out of an expectation of notoriety and fame. 
The service is not out of a motivation of love for God, but simply out of what they then believe they are due in response. As Jesus speaks about the parable of the prodigal son, which I always contend is not about a son, but the sons, plural, Jesus speaks about how the brother viewed his own service. So in Luke 15, Jesus is using three different parables to describe what God's heart's like for the broken and spiritually dependent. After speaking of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, he loses one of the sheep and the shepherd goes after that one sheep. Then speaking about a lost coin, having 10 coins, a woman loses one of the coins and then the woman tears apart her house looking for that one coin that was lost. Then speaking about the lost son who has decided he wants to run from his father and his father's protection, who eventually understands his mistake, comes back to the father with his head placed down in shame, yet the father reinstates him as a son, not a slave. But then the elder brother, the other brother, is told about the prodigal, his own brother, returning, and look at his reaction to his father's grace upon his brother. It says in Luke 15, verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. That's into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. This is unfortunately how the natural person in each one of us are. Prior to God's grace being revealed and received, and yet also something that we continue to carry along in our lives, known as, I'm putting in quotes, the old man where we resort to responding the way we did prior to being made a new creation in Christ. Our service to others or our service to God is blasphemous when it's not about the Lord or valuing others above ourselves, but rather what we think we can gain from others by serving them. And this is ultimately what we want to war against and change our minds about. Here's my big point in all of my sermon today. So you got one takeaway, here's a good one. We ought to serve Christ through people for God's glory. We ought to serve Christ through people for God's glory. Because when we have the right motivation for service, we don't get disappointed or puffed up when we serve others and don't get the credit we think we are due or feel as if we are better than others because we serve, but instead focusing on grace offered to us in abundance, we can serve others no matter their reaction. Because when we serve others, if our identity is rooted in Christ, we are also serving Christ by serving others. And yet these two disciples, James and John, wanted their share. They want something to look forward to. They want credit for their service to Jesus. They want acknowledgement among their peers that they are special. And that unfortunately, while maybe not completely, shows a bit of their motivation towards why they were following Jesus in the first place. Verse 38, Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Jesus saying that they did not understand what they were asking lends itself to the fact that they were not fully aware of what in his glory really means. The cup he drinks 
What Jesus is speaking about is a metaphor for the wrath of God being placed upon sin. You guys may remember this in the, as Jesus goes to the cross, before that, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asked the Father, if the Father would allow this cup to pass him, to pass from him, to not have to take on this cup, Jesus asks. But then Jesus says, not his own will, but the Father's will be done. And so Jesus willingly goes to the cross, and I believe that this is what he's referencing before it even happens. And then he says, will you be able to experience the baptism that I am baptized with? Baptism for any of us who believe and identify with Jesus, baptism is commanded by Jesus, not as a work to be saved. It does not save you, church, but as an ordinance to be observed and obeyed, similar to communion. As Jesus said to John the Baptist at Jesus' baptism, when John attempted to stop Jesus from coming to be baptized by John, John's like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 3.15. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. You know what absolutely blows my mind about this exchange with John the Baptist? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance to identify, not just verbally, but symbolically with your turning from your old life and sin and turning to God and his grace. And Jesus is without sin, without any need to repent, and he gets baptized. So what does he mean when he says we do this to fulfill all righteousness? He doesn't mean we do this to be saved. He means this is what the saved do. This is one of the two ordinances that Jesus left his followers. They were symbolic with identifying with Jesus and his death. That's being lowered into the water and resurrection coming out of the water. This is beautiful and necessary way of obeying Christ. And as we have said since forever, this is not the finish line. You don't get baptized and then you're like, oh, I'm going to kick back. Now, this is the starting blocks of the race. But if you've believed for quite some time and have yet to publicly acknowledge Christ through baptism, there's no statue of limitations. Or, oh, you missed your chance. I've baptized nine-year-olds. I've baptized elderly people. It is never too late to identify with Christ in baptism. Nor do we ever stop reading his word and finding new ways that God convicts us to obey him. But this one, baptism, which Jesus asked these, the sons of thunder, if they too will be baptized like him, is a metaphor for their having to experience death for the glory of God's name. Not just like Jesus. And because, <clears throat> but because they too identify or will eventually identify with Christ and his sacrifice and his resurrection, they too will experience what Jesus is talking about, metaphorically speaking. Mark 10, verse 39 they said, well, we can, they answered. And then the second part of 39, Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, as I was reading different commentaries, there was something that came up that I didn't really expect to see, but a lot of commentators point to something when it comes to this right and left. 
Jesus might just be referring to something that I know for a fact James and John were not thinking about because it hadn't happened yet, but there were two that were on both sides of Jesus at Golgotha. In Luke 23, 32 through 33, it says, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the school, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. One of the criminals, skip into verse 39, who hung there hurled insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done, has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Some of the most beautiful words in scripture. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not because of anything this criminal did right, but because of this criminal's faith in Jesus. So remember, you've got James and John asking this really ridiculous question, and the other 10 disciples are hearing James and John socially and spiritually inept request, and here is how they feel. It says in Mark 10, 41, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. There's that word again. Indignant. Remember that word from earlier in the chapter and from last week's sermon regarding Jesus being indignant towards the disciples attempting to stop little children from coming to him? So the disciples were indignant towards these two, perhaps because their request was pretty selfish. Or perhaps because the other disciples were like, what about me? The text doesn't say, nor does Jesus pay any mind to it. Rather, he points out what a disciple of Jesus' role in the kingdom is. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Being a follower of Jesus means that our worldview is flipped upside down. East means west, up, up means down. If you're not first, you're last. Wait, no, that's Talladega Nights. I'm sorry. You guys haven't seen that movie? Not first? Okay, that's fine. Not all my jokes have to land. But what Jesus means is that being a servant doesn't mean you are less than. It ought to mean you understand the gospel of grace and want others to do the same. And what, if you really think about, just think about this logically. Think about this with your relationships with people that do not have a relationship with God. If it's at work, if it's at school, if it's an old friend that you talk with, what would, is more questionable? What is more questionable to people outside of the church, to society, than a person who affectionately cares for other people without anything in return? What's more questionable? What will make people ask more questions than that? Listen, I don't care for others because I just want to get an opportunity to tell them some canned message about Jesus. I care for other people, strangers even, because I do not deserve to be loved by God based on my actions. But here we are, 
I'm a trophy of grace made into the likeness of God to serve God by serving other people. Thank you, Lord. Not for how good I have it, but for how good God is in spite of my sin against him. This is the passage that leads into the famous verse that we read at first. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So remember, both Jesus' example of serving and his laying down of his life for others, and because of the gospel, when we focus on the gospel rather than ourselves, when we focus on Jesus and what he has done for us and what he offers to others, serving others, participating in what he is doing is not so much an obligation, but a commitment to loving God by loving others. This past week, I've been feeling it. And by it, I've been feeling overwhelmed by the reality of how things currently are. Now, there's gonna be some good with some bad here. We as a church community are growing, spiritually which is most important. We are growing numerically, which tends to happen through consistency and the summer coming to a close, praise the Lord, and in community where more and more people are connecting with one another around the gospel. And this connectedness around the values and the emphasis of Church of the Valley, and it's awesome. And I'm excited to offer community groups real soon. I'm excited that we're going to come together and have that opportunity to dive deeper in the word together. It's great. It's what we've prayed for. It's what we've hoped God would do. But in that, there are growing pains. The truth is, with growth comes having to figure out how to care for more people. And on top of that, we have had dear friends pass away. Plus, our dear friend and co-laborer, Karen Miller, had an accident that is making her more reliant upon other people than she's used to. She's doing a fantastic job running dispatch from her home. She really is. But we miss having her around. We miss being able to work closely with her like we're used to. Also, it is meant that Mike, Karen's number one fan, number one friend, her husband, is needing to spend more time serving Christ by serving her and being the primary caretaker, which has meant that many of Mike's responsibilities have needed to be handed to others in staff and in leadership. While we are missing two of our very loved staff members within the community, we have a hopeful few new elders coming on in the present, in, in the present time that we'll tell you about later. I think we're going to have some future baptisms in the near future as well. So there has been some really great things happening with some really hard stuff. And in all of that, I've been dealing with a pretty sore and painful injury to my left shoulder that has kept me up at night and has been a constant reminder of my age and that I'm not Iron Man. So it's created distraction. It's created an amount of fatigue in a season that really isn't a time where margin is possible at all. So why am I telling you all of this? Because when the word of God convicts me, I feel like I need to be an example of testifying to what and how God has rebuked me through his word. And the difference that that's made for me with the hope that maybe it would make a difference in one or many of you. As I wrote this sermon, and I was thinking about serving, if I'm honest, 
I'm feeling pretty down on myself, pretty petty in my thinking, and feeling unappreciated by some people that I've been doing my best to serve and care for. And I was harboring resentment, if I'm really honest, and aggravation towards this situation and probably towards them. And the fact is, I was not serving with Christ in mind, but people in mind. And guess what? They and I, totally disappointing. And yet, as I studied these passages, and I realized that my service in the church as a member of the church, as a participant in the church, as a pastor, as an elder, as a teacher, as a staff member, all are not for any one person specifically, but Jesus Christ, the one who never disappoints, the one who in the gospel appreciates me more than anyone else ever could or ever would. And when I focus on that, my perspective changes completely. And my worth stops being in how people respond to what I do or how I am viewed by others. But instead, my worth is placed in the hands of a Savior and a King who took on the cross for the punishment of my sin. And after giving up his spirit, he then victoriously rose from the dead. Church, we do not worship a dead God. Let's never act like we do. So church, I'm sorry that I tend to get depressed and negative when my focus forgets about whose I am. But I'm here to tell you that grace is offered. Not just in salvation, but there's definitely grace there. But daily as we pursue Christ by being obedient to his word and serving Jesus by serving others. And when we serve others, we are doing so not for their gratitude or our self-righteousness, but we're serving others for a God who took on skin and dwelled among us and walked the walk we could not walk, exchanged his life for ours, and then through the resurrection, we too can be resurrected. But our service in this life is for Christ and Christ alone through serving other people for Jesus' glory alone. So I'm going to close with half of a parable that Jesus speaks about regarding the sheep and God's flock who serve. It's a long one. I'm only reading half of it, and I'll explain why in a moment. When the Son of Man, in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This parable is in the context between a sheep and a goat. And while Jesus goes on to describe that the goats on his left are those who did not care for anyone but themselves and did not care for the least of these because their motivation was that it would not be beneficial to them to serve others. Church, we are a community 
of people, of believers, who are unashamedly about the gospel of grace. And that that message is personified in Jesus Christ as the way that we relate to God and are drawn by God. And by believing and living through the lens of the gospel, we bring glory to God and God alone. So for those who are currently serving, be encouraged. Not because you're going to get a lot of credit, but because God is getting glory through you and that you are serving Christ by serving others. And for those of you who are perhaps looking for ways to serve, reach out to us. Fill out a communication card. There are ways you can help bring glory to God through caring for others. It might not always be what you plan to do or what you want to do, but we don't serve out of comfort or out of self-righteousness. We serve Christ by serving others, and it is a good habit to begin to put into practice. And so here's my ask. Maybe you need to serve, fill out a card. Maybe you want to talk more about baptism, fill out a card. Maybe you just realize that there are some things that are holding you back from either. Fill out a card. We want to talk with you.